when I was, I think, in grade 10. And before that, I wanted to be a potter, and that's another story. But I wanted to be a psychologist, and I remember uh, being at a party. Well, it was kind of like just a, it wasn't really a party party. It was like, uh, you know, friends kind of getting together. And I remember the first time that I envisioned myself becoming a psychologist. Now, what do you picture when you think of a psychologist? What do the like, cartoons have? Typically, they have like this reclining couch. Um, we were, I don't know what we were doing, we were just kind of sitting around, probably doing something not so good. And I remember all of a sudden leaning back in my chair. And that was me starting to imagine. And I was listening to my friends, and I was just picturing myself with a beard. And did you know that he actually, he had quite the racket going. He turned the client away from himself, reclined them on a couch, and his garden. And he would look at the garden, and he wouldn't have to listen to them, because they would just free associate. Like they would go like one thing after another in their heads, and he would just, they would just be free associating, and he would just look out the window and fall asleep. So anyway, I imagined myself listening to my friends with a goatee, with round glasses, being a psychologist for the first time. And nobody else knew what I was doing. Nobody else knew that I was pretending to be a psychologist. I was transported to another reality in my mind. And I wonder maybe a little bit if there was a heart of God in that a little bit, kind of preparing me for my future, you know, helping me to um, see something that nobody else could see yet. I say that because I remember when I was finished school portive, but I don't know if she really had the vision of me being a psychologist because when I actually graduated with my PhD, she turned to me and she said, wow, you really did it. <laughs> so I think I maybe, I maybe was the only one who had that hope. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> You're supposed to be my mom. It's like, well, I couldn't believe you actually did it. <laughs> Romans 15, it was read already, it says, and again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse, the root of Jesse is Jesus, son of Jesse, will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Lord, I pray that you would fill us with hope this morning. I pray that you would fill this talk, this message, with your hope, and that your stories and your word would pierce our hearts so that no matter what we're walking in, no matter what we're experiencing in our day-to-day -day life, we would be grounded and rooted and anchored in your hope. In the name of Jesus, amen. One of the things that people think about when they think about hope is they think about optimism. Optimism is a psychological kind of maybe reality, or at least it's a social reality. It's like, I believe that good things will happen. And sometimes it's a little bit Pollyanna and meaning that it's not real, it's not grounded in anything. It's like, I hope I win the lottery. There's nothing really there. You're more likely to get struck by lightning. Like, there's nothing actually realistic about that hope at the glass half full. But that's not the biblical definition of hope. That's just what most people think. It's like wishful thinking. You convince yourself that something is true, even though you know, potentially, that it's not hope is different. You could call it certain hope. Biblical hope means that you are certain of the future. You know what's coming. 
it can look like optimism to other people. It can look delusional to other people because it's faith, but it's certain. It's the assurance of things that are not seen. Faith and hope go together. It's knowing for certain. Hebrews 6 says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner, steadfast anchor of the soul, sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Going to heaven is a certain hope, the kind of hope that you want to build your life on, a rock. It's strong. It says it's sure. It's trustworthy, dependable. You can bet your life on it. An anchor is there in order to keep you in one place, even when things are challenging. You know, they say that you can go weeks without food. The saying goes, you can go days without water and you can go minutes without breath, but you can't go a second without hope. I don't know if that's totally true. I think you could probably make it a second without hope, but you can't make it long. In the past, I used to work at Stony Mountain some of you might remember this, I was working in solitary confinement. I was not in solitary, but I was in solitary with them. And so I had that experience. It was very similar to solitary confinement, except that I got to go home at night. And my job was to do a daily check. I was there to make sure that the people survived the night, that they didn't die. And I would go around and I would knock on the door and I would have to write a short report on every person in the prison, in the solitary confinement. And unfortunately, at least at that time, I think they've now outlawed, sol outlawed solitary confinement, so I'm not sure if it's really there. They've probably figured out something creative to replace it, because it served a purpose. And there were a lot of people in there, and I'd have to go door to door, knocking, checking on everybody. It was an institutional requirement, and I'd have to write a report on each one. And that job was me measuring hope. I had to measure hope in each cell. And if the hope got too low, it was dangerous. The person wouldn't survive. They made it challenging to do anything to yourself in the prison, but it wasn't impossible. And the other inmates, unfortunately, were very supportive of anybody who wanted to harm themselves. So you had a whole crowd cheering you on. It was very sad. I had to measure hope in order to keep life alive. We had to find ways of increasing hope in each cell. So when you think about hope as being necessary for life, like water, like air, it is. If you don't have hope, you don't have long. When you have an anchor, it keeps you from drifting. Because you can, without hope, you can go into unsafe water. And it's easy to drift. It's easy to drift from God. It's easy to drift from your goals or from your loved ones. And hope is there to keep you as an anchor in the place where you need to be. It gives you stability in a storm. In a storm, apparently, an anchor actually helps you from swaying to the one way or the other. Pitch, I think is one of them, pitch and awe, pitch and awe, I'm not sure. Anyway, it helps the, the ship to be stable in a storm as well. 
Some of these anchors are huge. Sometimes the link in a chain on these anchors is 500 pounds. These are enormous anchors for enormous ships, six-ton anchors. The oldest anchors used to be just a rock with a rope tied around it thrown into the water. We anchor ourselves with a rock. Because it's easy to drift from God. And when you don't have hope, it's easy to be attracted to hope. Hope is so... What will you do for water? What will you do for air? And hope is so attractive when you don't have any. People come to me asking for hope. They want hope and I try to give it to them. And if you are without hope, you can grab onto unsure hope. You can grab onto a substance that gives you hope. You can grab onto finance that gives you hope. You can grab onto a person, boyfriend or a girlfriend, to give you hope for the future, a job. It's so attractive to find something. You can grab onto a church to give you hope, this church. Real hope is based on the word of God. Not my wish, not based in emotion, but what God has spoken. We want to make sure that it's not our imagination, but it's based on God's obligation. Based on what he has given us. We have to base our hope on something certain. God cannot do evil. He cannot lie. People think that God can do anything. He can't. I remember taking a philosophy class and they were like, can God do anything? And no, he can't. He limits himself by his character. He cannot lie. There are 7,000 promises in the Bible. His purposes never change. We want to make sure that we base our lives, we want to base this church on the hopes that don't change. The things that we can settle our lives on and not worry about where it's going in the future. Don't have to be pushed here and there by the different feelings that happen as we go through our lives or that happen through the church. But there's another kind of hope. I've talked about two. We've talked about the hope of winning the lottery, optimism. We've talked about the certain hope of the Bible and God's word. But now I want to talk about expectant hope, which is a third kind of hope. Expectant hope there is some basis in reality. Somebody who's pregnant has expectant hope. They're expecting. If I plant a seed, I have expectant hope that I will have a cucumber. I will have a tomato soon. It's not wishful thinking. Wishful thinking is I'm going to have a beautiful garden and I'm not going to plant any seeds. That's wishful thinking. Ungrounded optimism. But expectant means that you have done things to actually believe and have some reality in that hope. But even expectant hope doesn't always happen because it's not certain hope. It's expectant hope. Sometimes the baby doesn't come. Sometimes the plant doesn't grow. Sometimes we get it wrong. And it's not certain because it has a requirement on a person. Certain hope has a requirement on God. 
And God doesn't change. God doesn't lie. God is certain. So we can ground our lives on it. But expectant hope has an interaction between us and God. And so it's uncertain. It's still hope, but it's not certain. Because there's an interaction and we aren't perfect. We do lie. We fail. And there's an interaction between certain hope and expectant hope. So God could tell you, you're going to get to the other side of this forest. It's in the Bible. You're going to get there. Certain hope. But there's lots of paths in that forest. And we can have expectant hope that we're going to go on this one path, but it might not quite happen that way. We will get to our certain hope, but there's an interaction, there's a conversation between you and God and the hopes of the paths that you get to take on that journey to that other side of the forest. And we can have hope, we can have expectant hope, but it's not always going to work out the way we think because there's an interaction and sometimes we make mistakes. Sometimes we hear him wrong. Sometimes we don't fulfill our side. Luke 18, 1, gives us the key to hopelessness. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. If you want to not lose heart, you are to always pray. It's a key. I like keys. If you want to not lose heart, you ought to always pray. Now, I like scriptures in context, and there's an awful lot of context to this. So I'm not going to read the entire context, because it goes like two chapters. But it's a bunch of parables that, God, that Jesus speaks in a row. And if you read them together, just the themes of the parables, it's really cool, because you can get caught up in each parable. You can preach a sermon on each parable, which is great. But if you put them together, there's actually a sermon just in the themes of the parables. And I love to do that. I have to do that a lot in sessions. Sometimes people speak in parables. Have you ever met somebody who just speaks in stories? They don't actually speak in narrative. They just tell you story after story after story. And at the end of it, you're like, what are you trying to say? Well, I meet people like that, particularly when they're avoiding their feelings. They'll just tell me stories and I have to pick out the themes. Anyway, so Jesus talks in stories. And sometimes you can pick out the theme. So I'll tell you the parables, because you might be familiar with them, but I'm not going to read it. He talks about the future. This is Luke 18, sorry, Luke 17 at the end. He talks about his death. Then he tells a parable about the persistent widow and the governor. And if he keeps asking, he, the widow gets what she wants. And then he talks about the Pharisee and the tax collector. And the Pharisee's in the front saying how wonderful he is, that he's not like everybody else. And the tax collector's in the back saying, I'm sorry, Lord, for who I am. And the tax collector is the one who gets God's favor. And then there's the, par- and then there's the story of Jesus welcoming the children and how you have to enter into the kingdom of heaven like a child. And then there's the story of the rich young ruler who has to potentially give up everything in order to get into the kingdom of heaven. And then he talks about his death again. So if I read this, instead of reading the whole thing, but just the themes, it sounds something like this. He says, the kingdom. You're asking about the kingdom. It's in the midst of you. But a dark time is coming. When the darkness will gather around and you will not be able to see me anymore. And it's going to happen around death. But don't lose hope. Always pray 
and you will be able to keep your hope. That's that verse. Always pray, and you will be able to keep your hope. Like a widow before a judge, you will be able to persevere if you keep praying. Even when the opposition is systematic, fundamental, overwhelming, and you're powerless, you will be able to persevere in that darkness if you always pray. Keep your hope by talking to me. You cannot do it by yourself. You can't do it like the Pharisees who believe in their righteousness and think that they can do it on their own. You're going to need me to do this. Don't stop praying because you think you can solve the problem. So don't try to do it yourself. Don't believe in your own righteousness. No, you have to come into the kingdom like a little child, not like the Pharisees. You have to enter in with humility and innocence. And trust me to get you through that dark place that's coming. So you always have to pray, don't trust in yourself, and come to me like a child, dependent on me. You can't trust your money either. That's another big one that people fall into. And people who have a lot of money, man, are they going to have a hard time always praying and trusting in me? Because it's so easy to trust in money. So make sure you trust in me and keep talking to me. Don't lose hope. Be like that child, not like the rich person who just believes that their money is going to save them. And remember, even when it looks good, I am going to leave. And it is going to be dark. And you will have to face it. So keep talking to me. so that you can continue to have hope that pierces that darkness. Because you can't do it on your own. I'm always going to be there with you, even when it seems like I'm not. It's amazing how those parables just go together so nicely, isn't it? He talks about his death. He talks about that persistent widow. Always pray. Don't do it like the Pharisee. Come to me like a child instead, not like the rich ruler, and I will leave. So make sure that your hope is anchored with a rock so that you won't go to another kind of hope. As we converse with the Lord, as we continue to pray always, he gives us things. He gives us more details as we go. We have the certain hope, but oftentimes those are the more distant things. And, but as we talk with him, he gives us more. And we can expect and hope in those things as well. Not because they're certain, but because we are on a journey with him. And he can get, put a light on the next step. So I'm going to be talking about two things that we actually have for our church in that conversation. These aren't certain hopes, but they are expectant hopes. They're things that we can talk to the Lord about, inquire, on, inquire of him, and here's the first one. It's actually a video, or it's communicated in a video, by Keith. He was here in September, and we got a video of him. And so we're going to watch that together. Keith Miners. I'm married to Pauline. Uh, we've been married 48 years. 
Um, we have three wonderful married children, the youngest of which is, will soon turn 40. Paulie and I met at teacher training college. Neither of us knew the Lord at that time, but God made it clear to us, even though we were unsaved, that he had a journey for us. I invited Pauline to be part of the journey, and she said yes. And then um, we were married in 1971, 1974, Pauline came to the Lord. 1975, after a year of Pauline praying and living as a testimony to me, I was very unexpectedly saved. I encountered God when I wasn't looking for him. In fact, God used us to see young people saved at the school. And when they, after they got saved, they said, oh, we knew something had happened to Mr. Miners. Suddenly he was laughing all the time, smiling all the time, is what they said. Which told you I must not have smiled much before then. But after three weeks, the person of the Holy Spirit entered my life. Uh, I was prayed for to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. The person of the Holy Spirit entered my life and started talking to me. I thought that was normal. It was only when my friend took me aside uh, and after three months and said, do you realize all the trouble you're causing? Did I understand? That wasn't normal, but it is meant to be normal and is far more normal now than back what it was. Once you learn to hear, it's entirely up to God what he says. Once you can see in the spirit realm, it's entirely up to God what he shows you. So that is very much our testimony. Over the years, God has said profound things and shown us profound things. And it means we've had to step out in faith. Some of the prophetic words have been very, very challenging and very impacting. And so what I wanted to share really is this. In February 2014, Cale had two dreams. In the first dream, uh, Cale was in his 30s at the, this time, he was an old, uh, but in the dream he was an old man meeting with young leaders from around Canada in the future. And they wanted to know, Cale, tell us, how did the great move of God, how did the great revival, which impacted Canada, how did it begin? So Cale's telling them how it began. It began by young people, young adults gathering just to worship the Lord and be with him. And then God moved. And that was the first dream. Then I think it was the next night, Cale then has another dream. He's above Canada and he sees the fire of God start to come in Canada. He sees it hit in the Toronto area and he thinks, oh, well, they can look after, they can handle the fire in Toronto. Then he sees the fire of God hit east of Toronto in the Port Perry area. Then he saw uh, the fire of God hit in the Canadian Arctic. Then he saw the fire of God hit in um, Vancouver, but it was Alex Maynard and Young, the Burn ministry of extended worship and praise and God the fire of God hit that. And then he said, and I saw the fire of God hit Warman, Saskatchewan. And I didn't know much about Warman, Saskatchewan. Uh, and I had to ask my friends about that. Uh, and then he said, I saw the fire of God hit Keith Miners and his network just southeast of Winnipeg. And that was the end of the dream. So that was for the world. It was received as the word of the Lord. And Brian Creary from Sanctuary House of Prayer called me up one day and said, I've had Kale Mumby's uh, prophetic dreams from three different unconnected sources today. 
Uh, Keith, we need to talk. We've learned to take God at his word, pray the words into being, and don't try and make them happen. It's an active, expectant partnering. But always the focus is Jesus himself. The focus is Father himself. The focus is the Holy Spirit, not the words. It's easy to make the words I think, as, as idols. Keep focused on Jesus. Keep focused on, on God. Keep focused on relationship. Keep pressing in for the relationship. A few weeks ago in Nova Scotia, we were having an evening with friends, just soaking before the Lord, seeking Him. And a lady sitting in the corner really saw Jesus walk into the room as King of Kings and saw the Holy Spirit going around the room, touching people. As she's seeing that, she's saying, Jesus is saying to me, you are my burning ones. 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 The presence of God in the room was overwhelming. And then it's like that wave just happened. God has really connected us with Maplecrest, the people of Maplecrest, and other churches in Canada in the United States, other parts of the world, and he wants to baptize us in the Holy Spirit and fire. Canada, Eastern Ontario was not included in that vision, and we know that God plans to use the entirety of Canada, and it's like God's used us to network out there, just to spread the network plan for the Winnipeg area. God has great plans and purposes for Canada but he's looking for people to say yes to him and whatever. Jesus, this isn't about me. You know it's about you and your plans. But Lord, you have included your people. And we say yes to being included. We say yes to all your purposes. We say yes to the prophetic words which you have given. Lord Jesus, let us be burning ones. Let us be burning ones. Lord, I release that into whoever listens to this, whatever church they go to. Lord, let us be burning ones. And we understand, Lord, the time is now. It is not a far off time. The time is now. You are saying to your church, the time is now. And so, Lord, we embrace this call from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth, which is the call on Canada to be burning ones for you, fiery ones for you. And thank you, Lord, you are connecting us with heaven. Amen. Ooh. So we're not southeast of Winnipeg. I know that. But we could have a Bible study there, maybe. We could kind of have something start over there. And I think it's just a really big honor to be part of Keith's network and to know that he has been prophesied over to have this happen in his life. And I believe that this is one of those things that we can be expectant, have expectant hope around, that we can believe for our church, that we would be burning ones for him and that we would be able to connect with the Father's heart and be part of his move in Canada. And that was our heart when we started this church. Recently, we did a series on forgiveness, which we actually ended last Sunday. And 
we've been kind of expecting to do a series on forgiveness for a while, and it was exciting to do. And two things have happened since, or in that and, and since, that have been pointing to the fact that this might be more significant for this church than we initially thought. And one was, and the main one, was that Mark Edward Grant was um, announced to be suing the government um, for his trial experience, and I'm sure you can find details on that, days before Wilma spoke here on forgiveness. It was in the middle of the forgiveness series, and we didn't do that on purpose. We also, um, I also then had a dream uh, fairly recently, and in that dream, there was uh, this interpretation that we were, or I was, supposed to be walking out in my unique calling, and the calling that's unique for myself and for my family, and that there were people who were going to come and try to steal it. There was this trying to steal the unique purpose that God has for us, for me, and I believe that an extension for us. And that resonated with me in a way where it's like, I think up until now we were doing church and we were, I won't regret it, it, it we were doing church in a way that um, was a bit more of a, of a common call to do church. And, um, but now I feel like there's this release and a freedom to do church, to express church in a way that is consistent with the gifting that God has given our family, has given me. And I believe that God has given forgiveness as a standard for my family. And I've had to interact with that over time, over our life, over our life. But it's been something that our family in the natural has been known for, and I believe in the spiritual as well. And again, I've had to interact with that, and I've wanted in some ways to have my ministry and the things that I've done be kind of independent of that in the past. I'll give you an example. We, I was on the radio, I'm on the radio every week, and I was kind of proud of the fact that they didn't know that I was a Dirksen, the Dirk, like one of the Dirksons in Winnipeg, for like the first four years that I was there. I was kind of proud that it wasn't that that got me into being on the radio. But I recognize the fact that there is a calling on our family's life, and that it's, not, it's beyond me proving myself in some way. It's beyond my ego or anything like that. And it's something that I need to, in some ways, submit to as being one of the stones in the foundations of this church. And I say one of the stones because I don't want you to get the impression that this is the church that only talks about forgiveness or the church that you have to be keeping up to date about this or something like that. That's not what this is about. Every church has a calling and they can have multiple callings on the community and that can impact each person in a different way. So this isn't supposed to be exclusive, but it is supposed to be a spiritual reality. So, for the time being, I'm calling it the forgiveness mandate on Maplecrest. There's a forgiveness mandate, and there could be multiple mandates, and multiple different things that are happening in this church, but I believe that that's one of the mandates. And I would like to tell you everything that that means, but I don't know. Sometimes we only get that expectant hope one step at a time. And so, at this point, I'm making a declaration, I'm putting my foot on the rock, and I'm saying, 
we are holding up a standard in this church around forgiveness. And that's going to draw who knows what. It's going to draw potentially a spiritual or otherwise attack on this community because we're declaring war. We're declaring war on things that stand in the way of God's forgiveness, that stand in the way of our ability to forgive each other. But I also believe that by declaring war, it doesn't just attract an attack, it actually is a declaration and God will honor that by helping us to take ground in that area, in the city and beyond. Again, we can be known for lots of things, but I expect and believe that Maplecrest will be known as a church that stands for forgiveness by the grace of God. And I believe that people will come here seeking wisdom, spiritual understanding, and spiritual power to forgive, hopefully among other things as well. We need to found our lives on the rock. We need to be anchored to a certain hope. And that's in the Bible. That's God's 7,000 promises that he has given us. And we also need to be in constant conversation with him in order to be able to have expectant hope, in order to be able to have hope as we go through the darkness when he isn't as clearly there with us. We need to keep on going with our conversation. And I'm excited about the conversation that we've been having with God about this church and what he has for us in being a part of Keith's network in the Winnipeg area and being burning ones for him, which was a a pretty big theme in October or September. And I also am excited about what God has been doing even after that. I feel like he's going through these series is just laying these rocks and foundations in this church of what we're going to be expecting in the future. Can I call the worship team forward? Lord, I pray right now before your throne, I pray that you would found this church upon your certain promises, that you would help us to never stray from the biblical realities that we can risk our lives for. And Lord, within that, within that border, I pray that you would help us to find our expression. I pray that you would help us each to find our expression and our hopes in order to help us to be steadfast when things are challenging. Because sometimes, Lord, when you have a bigger life, an abundant life, you need a bigger anchor. Sometimes when you call us to bigger battles, Lord, we need bigger prophetic words to help keep us steadfast. So, Lord, I pray that you would anchor us, that you would give us these prophetic words, that you would give us prophetic understanding of how you see us, so that we would see your thoughts and hear your reality for our future, so that as we go forward into difficult things, as we follow your call, that you would keep us steadfast and anchored to your hope and no other hope. Only you, Lord. Only your righteousness. Lord, help us enter into worship now as we enter into the hope of Christmas, as we enter the hope for our world. Give us hearts after you and help us to worship in spirit and in truth 
Amen.